Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. Thank you so much for joining me today for the final episode of the podcast for 2019. And I'm feeling pretty sentimental because all of you listeners have made doing this podcast one of the most rewarding experiences with technology that I've ever had. It has been such a delight to get to know some of you through messages and emails, find out what's going on in your bee yard and where you are in your bee journey. That has been really enjoyable. I have to say it's also helped me having uh, this podcast to do for you has helped me to keep my nose to the grindstone in terms of keeping on learning because there are so many times that I'm like, oh, I need to find an article or a topic to talk to y'all about. And so it's caused me to keep my eyes open and keep keep looking around. And many times your questions that you send in, I realize, wow, I, I'm not really sure about that. You know, I have these things that I do. And in my mind, I believe that they're based in fact. <laughs> but you know, then I have to go look it up and see if that really is based in fact other than my own imagining. So you guys have been so helpful to me and my bee practice, and it has been a joy to put this together for you. Of special note, the people who have become patrons over at Patreon have a special place in my heart because they have made it possible for me to get a recorder and for me to host this uh, podcast. And I just have nothing but thanks for all of you. So before I get into the listener mail and telling you some plans and hopes I have for the podcast in the new year, I want to talk about the hard thing, which is we are in the winter and there's the possibility any warm day that you go out and check on your bees there's the possibility you're going to find that your hive or multiple hives have died. This is unfortunately a part of beekeeping. Losses are a part. You will never not have losses for any length of time. The point is to keep your losses as low as humanly possible. In my opinion, that has a great deal to do with uh, strong, careful, attentive beekeeper management. Um, but I came across this article in American Bee Journal online, and it's this is the excerpt that they have online that anybody can read. I will put this in the show notes. Um, but it is by Tina Sebastian, who I hope to interview. I've sent her an email. Um, and it's called Making It Last. It's under the column of Beekeeping Basics, which I think I read that next year is going to be written by Megan Milberth, which will be wonderful. But I have loved Tina's articles. They are so clear and well-written. So making it last, I'm going to read you the excerpt. It's December and you've completed your first or another year of beekeeping. Congratulations. A statistic frequently cited is that about 80% of the people who start beekeeping will quit. I can completely understand why this might be so. To the unsuspecting, it would seem like you could buy a colony and the equipment to put it in, place it in the corner of the backyard, and the rest would be easy. In the pre-bee imagination, it seems like getting honeybees will be like getting a puppy, spend a little time in training, and let him run in the backyard. In reality, the care of honeybees has more in common with livestock care than it does with pet care, and most people have never owned nor cared for livestock. Beekeeping has its share of heartbreak, too, 
which the uninitiated would never imagine. The heartbreak comes from the way we fall in love with our bees, the peacefulness of beekeeping, how it makes your world seem like everything is all right, and then the loss of your bees and all that they gave us. Losses are a surprise to beginners, and the difficulty in understanding the cause to learn from it is discouraging. So right now, at the close of the beekeeping year, let's figure out how to make beekeeping sustainable. What we want to do is figure out how to make beekeeping not only something we would never want to quit, but also something that you can keep up with minimal inputs from the outside. The beehive should not just be a box to pour money into. Step one to making beekeeping something you would never want to quit is figuring out how to have bees that survive. In these articles over this year, I have sprinkled some rules, quote-unquote, of beekeeping. If these were real rules, beekeeping would be so much easier. You could go out on June 5th and give the bees X, and then on July 15th give them Y, and on September 2nd take away Z, and everything would be fine. Beekeeping is more about assessing the situation, figuring out what they need, and when. These rules I've talked about are really mottos of good beekeeping that can guide you in good decision making. Good beekeeping is doing what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Our goal as beekeepers is to help the bees do what they are trying to do, not make them do what we want them to do. Learn bee math. It is important. Monitor for mites. Treat when necessary. Requeen colonies that allow mite numbers to climb. Practice integrated pest management. Be patient. If you don't know what to do, do nothing. Find a mentor. Call him or her frequently, even if you don't have a problem. Talk beekeeping with every beekeeper you meet. Take advice from those with good survival rates. And I would just say, this is Lee, good survival rates over time. And she concludes this list, read exclamation point. So that's the first part of the excerpt, and the whole article is real good, and if you are a subscriber to American Bee Journal, which I would really encourage you to be, um, and as a side note, this is one of the few magazines that their digital version, if you happen to have an iPad or some type of tablet, their digital version, which is very inexpensive, is also very enjoyable. It's uh, easy to read, Um, you can look at it just like a magazine or you can set the um, articles to just be text. And either way, I found it very enjoyable to read. So, I think Tina is really hitting on something. The whole thought of that 80% of people who start beekeeping will, will quit, that is kind of heartbreaking to me. And maybe that can be, you know, a, a, a mission statement that I keep in my mind with this podcast is to keep you going, to keep you learning, and to keep you figuring out what it is you need to know to get your bees to survive. And because it is so, as you know, I've said a thousand times <laughs> since February, I've said a thousand times, it is so local in the sense that your microclimate, and by that I mean your actual neighborhood. Um, not to mention your city, your state, uh, your zone, your particular weather weather patterns, um, whether you live in a humid or a not humid environment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It is so individual 
there are years of knowledge that you really need to do high quality beekeeping. And the the kind of difficult part to relay to new beekeepers are there's years of knowledge and practice that you're going to need to keep your bees alive. Now, the thing that I see over and over, and I also hear over and over from people who help others with bees, is, you know, sometimes, okay, a lot of the time, new beekeepers have this idea in their head of how they're going to do beekeeping. I am not going to use A, or I am definitely going to use B technique, or this type of hive, or whatever. And pretty much anything we absolutely you know, lay down as our line in the sand, I found this applies to life too, is that's as far as we can grow. If we refuse to look at other things beyond where we think we thought we would have to look, then we just get stuck at that point. And I've seen already, I've seen on Facebook, um, people posting to the larger uh, beekeeping groups, um, my hives are dead, I'm done, I'm selling my equipment. And These mostly sound like new beekeepers. Maybe they've lost bees a few years in a row, which is so discouraging. And we have people in our club that, bless their hearts, have stuck with it. They lost bees. But just like last week when you heard commercial professional beekeeper Brian Fisher talk about, um, he's one of the best beekeepers I know. He has a phenomenal survival rate. He has worked out um, a management plan, uh, structures and practices and treatments that work for him. And he has a phenomenal survival rate over time. But you heard him say that the first few years he had bees, he killed them every every winter. And I mean, to say he killed them, (laughs) I mean, he said that. But you know, that's not always literally true. There are many, many things that can kill our bees, including the beekeeper. Sadly, mites are the main things. Mites and the viruses that they spread are the main things killing our bees. Now, you guys know that I am, I've been keeping bees since 2010. I have not had to use chemicals yet in my yard but I have a very special circumstance in that I live in the middle of nowhere I don't have agriculture around me I don't have other beekeepers around me I definitely don't have commercial beekeepers around me so that's a pretty special circumstance and that's why I don't really jump up and down on the no chemicals ever ever bandwagon because I just think it's cruel that there are so many people in places where it is virtually impossible to keep um, chemical-free bees. And in this sense, in chemicals, I'm talking about both the organic chemicals and the the synthetic chemicals, which you've heard me say over and over that I wish people would, even people that are really dedicated to not using any chemicals, keep your mind open to using organic treatments if that is the only way to get your bees through. Um, There are techniques we can still be working on getting the genetics better. Well, you know, finding better genetics is the first step and then improving them in your own setting. So that's going to require multiple hives um, or a couple hives in your yard and a couple hives in your friend's yard and, and groups of beekeepers working together. Um, It's going to require time. It's going to require 
losses, but it also honestly requires an open mind of looking at how your survival rate is going and figuring out what you need to do to get your bees through because none of our goals can be accomplished if we don't have bees. (laughs) And so I just, I don't know, I'm sorry to get on that soapbox, but when I see people treat their views of the best way to keep bees as, as a religion versus as a science and a practice, it disturbs me because it disturbs me for a couple of reasons, because if they are beginners, then I just, they're going to get hurt. (laughs) You know, they're, they're going to run into things that this, um, you know, kind of zealots view whether that is if I treat my bees with the most god-awful, you know, uh, strong residual chemicals in the world, then I'm going to be fine. And then they treat them with the most god-awful chemicals and they don't live. And then the opposite extreme of I'm never, ever, ever, ever going to use anything not natural. Um, then they're going to have losses. And if, if we don't go beyond those, that black and white, Beyond the black and white is the, in my opinion, is the path uh, to good, successful beekeeping that you can feel good about whatever your chosen management plan is. So yes, I, I went far afield on, on that topic. But that, that statistic that 80% of new beekeepers will quit, that is just heartbreaking to me because you know, if you're new, if you've only been in it a few years, honestly, you don't know enough to quit yet. You don't know enough <laughs> to know if it's really hopeless um, or not. And I mean, I I would imagine there are places where it is just so incredibly difficult that it takes a special kind of person to keep bees there. But most places, bees can be kept successfully Um, healthily for the bees and the beekeeper. And I just want to encourage you, if you are one of the unfortunate people going out and discovering that a lot of your hives have died or all of your hives, which bless your heart, I'm very sorry, that's a horrible, horrible experience. And um, it's horrible. It's, it's, It's a grief experience. And, you know, give yourself the room to be really, really bummed. Um, about that. But then I hope that that discouragement that, you know, yes, you'll, you'll pass through it. You will pass through it if you just farmer up, you know, farmer up and say, I'm going to learn what it takes to be a good beekeeper who can keep their bees alive. And if you are determined to do that, you will succeed. It is the determination. It is not like, um, I mean, there are some people who have natural skills or natural experience. And if they have worked in livestock and worked in farming, even frankly worked in gardening, you have this background in real biology, real life biology that is going to help you in beekeeping. Things are going to make much more sense to you. It's going to be easier to learn and progress if you have that solid background. I mean, I frankly, I think that's why so many medical people are in beekeeping and often are very good beekeepers because they have this background in, in biology um, that helps them understand what they're seeing and how to proceed and how to rule things out as to what's going on. Um, but even if you don't, even if this is your first experience in biology, if you stick with it, if you are determined, um, even if you've lost all your hives, uh, please 
don't give up. Hang in there. Keep learning. You know, take B-School again if that's what it takes. Actually, take B-School again just so you'll meet more beekeepers. So you, that, Because having beekeeping friends can also be the thing that keeps you going. Because if you have lost your hives and you have beekeeping friends, not only, you know, hopefully they're the kind of people that won't just render judgment on what they think. <laughs> you know, they won't do a diagnosis from afar, psychic diagnosis of why your bees died. Um, hopefully, maybe they'll help you come over and do the autopsy, which is a sad thing, but it you will learn so much. Um, they can kind of, as a friend of mine says, you know, do a sobriety test on you of you know, are you kind of making up reasons that your your bees died either because you don't know or because you don't want to think about the reason that because maybe it was something you could have done something about. But don't let that make you stop. Let that make you more determined, more on fire to learn what it is that you need to know. And again, this is a long haul skill. This is a a long-term project. If you're going to be a beekeeper, it is a long-term project. So even if you've gone out there in your yard and discovered the worst, I hope you will regroup, find more bee friends, hopefully with bees that they're going to need to split in the spring and those bees are going to need to go somewhere because they don't want a gazillion hives. This is where groups of beekeepers can be such an encouragement, a morale booster. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I am having a little problem with the bee barn in that some one of those nukes or multiple of those nukes, they are getting out of the nukes and getting into the shed. And of course, they can't get out of the shed. They run into the windows and they die. So I went out there. It's been a couple of freakishly warm days and everybody's flying. And I find this pile of dead bees in the um, shed and also bees you know, beating themselves on the window. And I'm like, how in the hell are they getting out? So I'm looking and I've, you know, I've taped up everything I can find. I've checked all the entrances. And so my spouse, actually, the non-bee person said, well, do you think those are bees that are getting out or are they bees that are getting in the shed? And that is a possibility. So my job, as soon as I get off this podcast, is to go out there and again, look and go over every crack and see how these bees are getting out. I hope so much that this is a random assortment of bees that are dead um, on the floor versus all from one nuke. Because if all those bees, you know, it's a good, it's a good double handful of bees. And if all those are from one nuke, that 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 one is probably a goner. But I'm going to go out there and problem solve. And that and it, what I was going to tell you is, so last night, you know, I was so frustrated because. First of all, because it was freakishly warm, you know, bees were flying everywhere, which made it difficult to try to figure out where the bees are getting out of this nuke. Because if I open anything, then lots more bees get out. Um, And I couldn't see anything obvious of any, you know, of bees coming and going. So I texted texted my bee friend and said, I am so frustrated. You know, I've got this pile of dead bees. I can't figure out how they're getting out. And... (laughs) And so, you know, a bee friend writing you back and either giving you suggestions or just talking you down or just cussing with you, whichever whichever kind of comfort you need at the minute, um, you know, get, get some bee friends who know how to give you the right comfort at the right minute, you know. Um, if it's a person who gives you advice that is really discouraging or advice that's really know-it-all, maybe that's not the best bee friend. Um, that's not 
my my group of friends, I, I will say that everybody's pretty humble. And we all know, we've all been in it multiple years, and we all know that bad things can happen with the bees, and sometimes it's your fault. And even if it's your fault, that doesn't um, mean that you need to be jumped on some more while you're down. Um, so find that group of bee friends and find that determination in your heart to keep on keeping on. And if you are one of those people who've lost your hives, remember that a great, great treasure is still in that hive, and that is your drawn comb or your pulled comb, as Brian uh, from Eastern North Carolina calls it. Um, your drawn comb is a treasure. And when we have these warm days, now I don't think you'll get, um, well, depending on where you are, at least where I am, you know, I'm not going to get wax moths in there. But if I have a dead out hive, I want to get it out of the yard as soon as possible because I don't want the bees going in there on warm flying days robbing it out because I don't know yet before I do the autopsy why they died. And so if the bees get in there and rob all the honey out, there's a couple things. They are exposing themselves to potential risk because that hive died. So, um, you know, what's going on in there? And I might not want every, you know, foragers from every hive in my yard tromping around in there if there's, you know, if there's some virus or bacteria that they're going to pick up and take home to their otherwise healthy hives. So I don't want that. And also, I don't want them stealing all the honey because I want to see how much honey was left and where it is. Because, you know, that way I can know, you know, did the bees uh, starve because they didn't have honey? Did they starve because they were in the wrong place in the hive and got stuck there with a stretch of really cold weather? Maybe they had a patch of brood, you know, on in this box but all the honey was in another box and they're not going to leave that brood on the cold night so if you have a bunch of cold um, they might not get be able to get to the honey so all these things are things you can tell from the autopsy and that brings me to an article that I'm going to put the link in the show notes it's something a listener sent in to me and that is Dr. Dewey Karen's article dead out forensics and that's three word so it's dr dewey karen c-a-r-o-n dead out forensics um, will help you figure out what happened to your bees if you unfortunately um, have a dead out if you have enough hives you're probably going to have a dead out i mean i have had years with 100 percent survival but they're definitely the outliers and so any dead out that you have i sure hope it's not all of them but any dead out you have, you can learn a tremendous amount from. Now, sometimes it's a real puzzler. Um, one, you know, sad thing you can definitely look for is if on the bottom board, um, look for mites. If there's a bunch of mites that fell off of dead bees, then there's there's probably the reason. Not, it's unlikely that the mites themselves were enough to physically and literally killed the bees, although that can happen, it is much more likely that they transmitted, that there was a heavy enough load that they transmitted viruses that then the cluster dwindles down. And if you get that little, you know, double handful of bees and you get some really cold nights, they're goners. And because there's just not that magic minimum number of bees to get through the coldest nights that they, that they will have. So please check out that article so that it, if you have losses, at least we can we can learn from them. We can learn from every single thing, including our mistakes and including our losses. 
Now I want to shift the subject a little bit because one of the things that has happened since I've had this podcast is that I have gotten um, messages and email from beekeepers very far away and and several in Australia. And if you watch the news, you know, Australia, bless them, they that country is virtually on fire. They have had, I guess, one of the worst brush fire seasons ever. And um, beyond the human home losses and structural losses and livestock losses, there is this huge loss of um, wildlife forage and of wildlife. The koalas have taken a terrible hit and it's just very distressing to, um, if you look up, I mean, on that, I, I feel like I need to to know and I need to look at things straight on and not just not look because it's hard. Um, but they, and all that's bee forage too. And, and bee hives, if they happen to be in, in the fire zone, it is a very distressing uh, situation there. And some of the beekeepers that from Australia who have written um, have have said the trouble they're having even if they're not in the fire zones they're having a drought and which can be devastating to bees I mean that's already a dry country and I think in most of it so Simone in Australia wrote me some of the most uh, touching and um, inspiring uh, messages in terms of resilience because I had been corresponding with her and I'd ask her, uh, you know, what is, what effect um, she's having in in her region. And she gave me permission to share this. So this is uh, from some of our correspondents. Simone in Australia said, this year is certainly testing the bees resilience. The drought's impact is significant. I've been up at 5.30 a.m. feeding syrup for a month or more now. At the same time, it has taken my relationship to a totally new place. The girls are now waiting for me each morning, sliding into a feeding, sliding a feeding into a flurry of bees while wearing a nightie some mornings as I'm running late and stepping away unstung is a profoundly humbling experience. It's something I would never have seen myself doing. Some are so bold they even come to the window as I'm making the syrup and let me know they're ready. I seem to have bees as almost constant companions now, following me or coming to rest upon my hands. It may be tough here, but it's not without a silver lining. I feel blessed to have them and to be supporting them on this journey. I think finding that upside and sharing during times of hardship hardship is an important part of any journey, so please feel free to do so. I've just had a minor surgical procedure a day ago, so the task of lugging the syrup buckets for feeding has gone to my dear husband, and he is not a bee person. I think I must have resembled a mother hen clucking and fussing as I ran through my self-developed, quote, protocols for a successful feeding experience, quote. He is kind to me, though, and knows how strong my mothering instinct is and how important, so he followed them, bless him. Being unable to do manual labor has in itself brought out another aspect to my bees, and I've taken the time to journal and write of my experiences it's been lovely taking the time to think, to reflect, and to unravel the experiences. I'm quite a contemplative and sensitive soul, so each visit to the hive has been a lesson for me, some more obvious than others. Reflecting on our relationship with our bees and the blessings they bring to our space is a precious gift in itself. And this is from Simone in Australia, who, with so many other people in Australia, are going through 
uh, devastating fires and drought. So I ask all of you to keep those Australian beekeepers in your mind and heart um, as we go through, because of course they're, I guess if we're in the middle of winter, then they're in the middle of their hottest time. And while on um, this side of the, or I guess this top <laughs> of the of the globe, while we're in winter, um, Linda Aldridge, who is in the United States, I believe she's out in Oregon, um, she has written some very interesting messages to me about uh, providing water for bees in winter. And this is something I can forget to tell you guys, because there is literally a pond um, beside my bee yard and the other bee yard is just in a pasture up from a a creek so both of those are near enough to water but not too near (laughs) um, to that I just don't worry about it the the water but she was uh, pointing out that her bees she said and and she may be I believe she's in a dry climate that they were just going crazy for drops of water on their landing board. And she also mentioned that Tom Seeley had said the most enthusiastic waggle dance he had ever seen was over water in winter. And um, so this is a thought. If if you are in uh, a climate where it's possible that they are having trouble getting out to water, like it's raining right now where I am, so might hardly ever have trouble getting out to water. They can just walk out on their landing board and, and get a puddle that nature has put there most of the time. But there are many climates that that is not the case. And um, so the way, the same way that you provide water in the summer, uh, you know, some type of dish with uh, things in it, like stones or marbles or whatever, that the bees won't fall in and drown. And then in this in the winter, we also don't want them to have to go so far. So Linda and I were having this conversation about, you know, there are some climates where having a boardman feeder with water in it could make sense. That's about the only good, the uh, water's about the only thing you want to feed with a boardman feeder, in my opinion. And um, the other thing was, I know have noticed that I've had some scraps of carpet out in the yard where I'm killing grass to plant something. And when those carpet uh, when the carpet gets wet from rain, the bees love it. They go out there and stand on the carpet and um, drink the water. And so I had said to Linda, I wonder if I, you know, if 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 beekeepers, they could put a little scrap of carpet, you know, just a small square and tack it on the landing board and just put a little water on it if you were in doubt, you know, and if it's not like significant flying weather where they can fly very far, but they could get that far. And she mentioned that someone she was following on B-Source had said that wherever he, and I don't know where he was again, but that he actually took a sponge, a clean sponge, um, and t- and and attached it uh, half in, half out of the hive. And that way you could either, if it rained, then that would suck up water and provide them a little water source. And then if it didn't, then you could walk around and pour some water on the sponge. Um, I've seen queens Uh, shipped in cages and there was a little bit of wet sponge in there for the worker bees to get water on their travels. So bees definitely like a clean sponge or a clean piece of carpet that they can stand on and not be in the water. So that was a thought I, I, again, because of my microclimate, haven't thought of that much. But if you are in a place that dryness is a possibility, um, that would be something to think about. 
Another item that came in from loyal listener Jeff T. Lender. See, I, I told you, I, I learned so much from uh, conversations I have with everybody. I had mentioned in a previous one about Better Comb, the synthetic uh, honeycomb that you can buy now. I think Better Bee has it. And um, I was pretty excited about it. Not for me, because I have lots of drawn comb that I treat like treasure. Uh, but for new beekeepers, because as everyone knows, starting out on foundation is the hardest thing. So I was kind of excited about this better comb. And I think it does have uses, but Jeff wrote in, he said he bought 20 sheets of better comb last summer. I installed the comb in conventional deep frames. I installed the frames hoping the bees would raise brood in it. Instead, they filled the better comb with nectar and pollen. The heavy weight of the nectar caused the better comb to stretch and sag on the frames. Where the, when the sagging occurred, it also stretched and distorted the shape of the cells. I don't know if the bees will repair it or not. So the good news is that my bees used the better comb to increase their stores of cap nectar and pollen, thus providing them with more food than I would have had if I'd only provided foundation. The bad news is the better comb could not handle the weight of the stored honey, and I suspect that the bees will not repair it and will never use it for brood. I hope I'm wrong. So that was important feedback, and what that makes me think is that um, it seems like the better comb people would, would give some type of instructions for maybe really doing some foundation wire. Um, I'm surprised that they're, that they're not selling it wired um, because that weight pulling it out of shape would definitely be an issue because, you know, the only way you could be guaranteed or almost guaranteed nothing in beekeeping is guaranteed, but... Of, of them putting brood in it is if you already had two frames of brood and the temperatures were such that you could slide that frame of better comb right in the middle. If you have enough bees and enough warmth that in the um, spring when they're building up that you could put that better comb right in the middle of a brood nest, then they would be much more likely to use it for brood. But um, even then, they can move their brood nest left or right and put um, nectar in it. But that'd be something to think about if you are using it is from the sound of it, if there's an option for it, you want to wire the heck out of it. And I will take this opportunity to say congratulations to Jeff. Um, because he has completed the certified beekeeper level in the North Carolina Master Beekeeper Program. So bravo, Jeff. I have the sneaking suspicion that it's not going to be any time before you are working your way up to Master Beekeeper because um, I really admire the way you are learning and continually researching about bees. And I know this because Jeff sends me some very, very cool links to articles and ideas and tips. So I actually still have a little pile of listener mail that I want to share with you over time because it is uh, wonderful to get this bouquet of uh, ideas for beekeeping. But I want to stop here because I want to tell you all that I'll be starting a free Radio Bee School here on the podcast in January. Um, if you're more experienced, you may want to skip those. But if you are more experienced, I would like to ask for your help. If you have time to skim through what I'm putting up there for beginners, that you could listen and then message me and tell me what I forgot. In particular, beekeepers that have been in it a few years, but they're still uh, fresh enough to remember what they needed to know when they were beginners, because it's actually challenging. And, and I thought about this after someone mentioned it to me. Um, it's actually challenging when you've been in it a long while 
there are some things that are just obvious to you and it you forget to point out how you knew that was obvious because it has become so second nature i find this because i'm really not a great cook i have found this when really great cooks have written out their recipes for me that there are things in the recipe steps that to a good cook is absolutely obvious, but to a not so good cook, we can really flub it up right about there because we're not exactly sure uh, of that step that to any professional or uh, just proficient cook is obvious. And the same is true with beekeeping. Sometimes it may be harder to learn from someone that has been in it a long while than to learn for someone who has been in it, say, for five or six years because they're still fresh enough to remember, wow, it really helped me when I learned this and such. So you more experienced beekeepers and you intermediate uh, beekeepers, I would really ask for your help, if you would, of maybe taking the time to listen to the bee school episodes. And what I'm going to do, it's not a freestanding bee school, because I really believe that it's important to go to a local bee school as much for the people you will meet as for um the information you will get there, though both are important. But I would like this to be a supplement. The things that I find are not taught in B-Schools or maybe a way to look at it that makes what they're saying in your B-School make more sense because there are, depending on how you learn and the type of thinker you are, there are ways it can be put that will make sense to you. Now, that said, if you are a beekeeper that has been in it one or two years, you know, maybe you've had one successful winter and then this is your second winter that you're going through, that type of level, you might find bee school interesting because there may be details that they cover in bee school that at the time you didn't have the context to see where that was important or to see how that worked. And it's possible that when you read some of the beginner material, or in this case, I hope listen to the beginner material, then some light bulbs might go off on your head, in your head, not on your head, that's a that's a whole different thing, um, in your head about connecting those things. Um, so anyway, I want to ask for the listener's help with the B-School. I haven't exactly figured out how often it will be. I, I have not figured out if I will be able to do um, a, a B-School episode and a regular episode. So um I, I Again, I hope you will participate with me in trying to make that the best. And also, any new beekeepers that you know um, in your club, if you will, um, I humbly ask you to turn them on to this podcast and tell them that in January, it is the free supplemental bee school from the Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm podcast. In closing, speaking of podcasts, there is a new one on the block, and I am very impressed with it. In fact, I binge listened to all the episodes um, that he has up yet, and that is Lewis Cobble, who is our North Carolina bee inspector on the mountain end of the state. Um, he's doing a podcast, and it's called The Well-Managed Hive. The Well-Managed Hive. Now, I only see it on Apple Podcast. Um, a, a listener on the, or a Facebook uh, person had asked me when I had shared it in the North Carolina Bee Association uh, group, they had said, you know, I'm not seeing it on my podcast app. Is it just on Apple Podcasts? And I don't know the answer to that. But sure enough, when I went in and I did a search on the other podcast app that I use on my phone, it did not come up. It only so far comes up on Apple. (laughs) Yes, I'm such a podcast listener that I have two apps. I use my Apple app 
for all the podcasts that are um, bee related and gardening related. And then I use, I can't remember what it's called, Pocket Cast or something like, there's another one, it's red. That's all I can remember. Um, I use it for all, you know, things like self-improvement and news and um, that type of stuff. So check out the Well-Managed Hive. He is interviewing some of the top-notch researchers. It's very science-based. He kind of goes deep dive into the science because that is his um, angle. So you can definitely get your science geek on with this podcast from Lewis. Um, It's also interesting. I found it interesting to the people who do it professionally, like Lewis and the scientists that he's interviewing. It's interesting how well, okay, about the scientists, the bee research that's being done. It's interesting how it is very much aimed at commercial beekeepers. And so, therefore, some of it is helpful to backyard beekeepers and some of it is not. But I guess, to me, the learning is important because, you know, whatever dynamics are affecting big commercial beekeepers, it's very possible in my very small operation, I could be seeing little tiny echoes of that same dynamic. So I both found that interesting um, and also, and, but it, but it's still, it's still helpful if you are at the level to where any of that makes sense. Um, if you're a few years in, I think you are going to love this podcast. And I've also asked Lewis if he will come on and um, do an interview and I think he will. So more stuff to look forward to. So in closing, thank you all for giving me the best first year of a new podcast that I think a person could have. You've been so forgiving. You don't seem to care that it's just raw talking and not a lot of editing or production work. I am having a quandary. I would like to know if you guys think I need theme music. It seems like every podcast in the world has theme music. This is apparently a big deal. (laughs) So if you think I need theme music, I I have some. I have a musician friend, and there's this little stretch of a song that I think would be fun theme music, but I don't know. It's like, do you care, or do you like that in podcasts, or are you annoyed when a podcast plays its theme music? I'd like to hear from you. So you can do that by messaging me on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash fiveapplefarm, or actually it's slash fiveapple, or you can message me on Facebook at Five Apple Farm, Bees, Honey, and More. Either of those would work. And if you don't do either of those, I welcome your email to blueridge714 at gmail.com. All right, you guys have a wonderful New Year's. I would love to hear what your New Year's resolutions are around your bees. I'd, I've, I'm old enough to where I do intentions now. Because <laughs> resolutions, man, that can be as discouraging as losing hives. But intentions I can get down with because I can set my intentions and I write them in the front of my bee journal. And as you know, sometimes they're helpful and sometimes they just make for a good chuckle about July when everything's crazy. I appreciate you all so much. Have a wonderful new year. I hope you welcome 2020 and I hope it welcomes you and we'll all meet back on the other side in 2020.